We are beginning a new series this morning called, I Want to Be Where the Rain Ends. And I got to tell you, I I put my heart and soul into the series that we do. Uh, This one's a little bit different uh, because of the the topic. Um, It was really one of those that, that as you go through the different characters in the Bible, it's one of those series that, that pulls at your heartstrings. It's one of those series that I think we're all at that place at one time in our lives where we're, we're in that storm and, you know, we're asking, I, I just want to be where the rain ends. I, I grew up uh, part of my life, I, I've told you this before, from kindergarten through sixth grade, I moved around like every year or so on average um, all those years. And one of the stops that we made for, I think maybe a year and a half, two years, was in Ocean Grove, New Jersey. I don't know if any of you ever been near Ocean Grove, New Jersey, but uh, it's near Asbury Park on the Jersey Shore, a really cool boardwalk. When I was growing up there, they, Asbury Park was alive. Now it's kind of died. It's coming back a little bit, but it was alive when I was there. So we lived there. We lived on Embury Avenue. I don't remember a lot of the places we lived, the names of the streets. I remember this, though. We lived on Embury Avenue, and my grandparents owned the Hazel Dean, which was a three-story brick um, rental house. My mom and I lived there um, all year long. It was just the two of us. Um, my, my brother had moved with my father in Virginia, so my mom and myself, we were, we were in the Hazel Dean in the summer times there, I mean, all, all, all year long. In the summer times, we'd rent it out to, to the tourists. Well, I remember one time I was sitting on, and this is where I really I got the idea for this series, the name of the series. I was sitting on the, on the porch. It was a big porch, big, beautiful porch. Right across the street were, uh, street were other nice uh, houses where people would rent them out in the summertime. And I sat there, a storm started coming in. Now, storms were, you know, pretty common right on, the, on the Jersey Shore. And so I didn't think much about it. But this storm was different. As I sat on the porch, I realized that it was, it was raining on one side of the road and not on the other. On the other side of the street, it was pouring down rain. But on my side of the street, it was sunny. And for the first, I was very young, and I had never seen that before. And I thought to myself, this, how could it be raining on one side of the road and sunny on the other side of the road? And I thought to myself, I'm glad I'm on this side where the rain ends. I'm glad I'm sitting on this side of the road where the rain ends. And that's really one of the, one of the, the reasons I really came up with this title, Where the Rain Ends, because I find we all are in those circumstances. Have you ever found yourself caught in one of the storms of life? You have that idea. You're, you're caught in a storm of life and you're, and, and, and you're standing in the rain and you're looking off into the distance and you're remembering those sunny skies. And you're hoping and you're praying. You're hoping and praying that you could be at the end of the storm that you're in in life. You're thinking of the good days. You're thinking, you're looking forward and saying, I wish I could be at a place. I wish you could get out of where I am right now and into those, those sunny skies. We're going to do some character studies for the next eight weeks. And in, in 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah, Elijah finds himself in one of these storms, a storm of, of rage and vengeance. He was physically, emotionally, and spiritually drained. I mean, he was overwhelmed. Now, if we follow his story... I believe that we can learn an awful lot. We can learn some of life's lessons. And as we, as we follow through his story, we can apply it to our own lives and, and the struggles that we face in our lives. 
the strains that we go through in our lives, those rainy, those stormy uh, times in our own lives. And so that's what I want to do. I want to look at 1 Kings chapter 19 and walk through that. The contrast between 1 Kings chapter 18, and if you would, I would like you to read, not this morning while I'm preaching, but 1 Kings chapter 1 all the way through chapter 19, so you get a real good feel for it, okay? So that's your homework for this week. Uh, read 1 Kings chapter, uh, chapters 1 through, through 19. It's, inc- it's a great read. But the contrast between 1 Kings 18 and 1 Kings 19 is startling. It's, it's, it's startling. They're, they're as different as night and day where Elijah was in his life. In chapter 18, Elijah was bold. He was confident. He, he was standing up against all the odds in his conflict with the prophets of Baal. He was, he, he was amazing. He, you know, they were, he, was, he, was, he, was, he was battling with these prophets, these false prophets. And his courage and his boldness was just easy to see. He was able to, in, in, his, in his conflict with these prophets, he was all able to call down rain and call down fire from heaven. And he saw the power of God, the, the, the supernatural power of God unleashed in his own life. And so in chapter 18, you have this. It says in 1 Kings 18, 30, 36-39, it says, At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and have done all these things as you command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, are, that you O Lord, are God, and that you have, you have turned your hearts back, they, have, they can turn their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate on the ground and cried, The Lord, He is God, the Lord, He is God. But then in chapter 19, something happens. There's this this change in in, in Elijah. And we find him fearful. He was running scared. He was overwhelmed. He was exhausted. He was discouraged. And he just wanted to die. He felt like he wanted to die. It was just a transformation. He didn't want to die. In, in, In chapter 19 we also find the cause of his change. The cause of his change. Ahab, King Ahab, tells his vicious wife Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And so Jezebel, uh, she gets angry and she threatens the prophet. She threatens him. So, you know, so he go, Ahab sends, tells Jezebel, Jezebel gets, you know, her frustration, her anger and her bitterness towards Elijah comes out and she threatens the prophet. And you see the change in his life. Elijah runs for his life to Beersheba, where he crawls underneath a broom tree there in the desert. And he asks God, he says, God, just let me die. Let me die. I mean, he goes from calling down rain and fire from heaven and he sees the power of God. And then in chapter 19, the next chapter, he's saying, God, I just, let me die. You know, this, he says, this is what he says. I've had enough, Lord. I have had enough, Lord. Ever been there? Ever been there in your life where you said, I've had enough, Lord? You ever been there in the depths of despair and defeat 
when, when all of your expectations seem to be unfulfilled, you had all these expectations for your life and what your family would be like and what your job would be like or, you know, whatever the case may be, relation, this relationship, and all of a sudden you're standing there at some point in life and you're saying, I've had enough, Lord. I've had enough. And in the depths of despair, and, 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 and that's where he was, now, this is our first lesson in overcoming despair and overcoming life's struggles. Understanding your expectations. Understanding our expectations. We need to understand our expectations because our expectations can change our entire life. If we have, if we have expectations that go unfulfilled in our relationships, it can change our life. If we have un- expectations that go unfulfilled in our work, it can change our life. So we need to understand our expectations. You have to wonder what Elijah's expectations were. What were his expectations? See, with the power of God so clearly revealed in his life, maybe Elijah thought that there was going to be a change in King Ahab, a positive response. There'd be some positive response. Goodness gracious, the guy's standing there and he's seeing all this go on and you you can understand the expectations that Elijah might have. It doesn't say that we have to kind of glean this, but you can see that. I believe that that he thought that there was going to be a spiritual change in the kingdom of Israel. Put in, put in layman's terms, he thought he was going to change his world. We know, what, we, we, know what, we know that. We all understand that. We thought, he thought that he was going to change his world. This was going to happen. God was going to use it. Look how God used me. And he thought, boy, this is, there's going to be a change here. There's going to be a transformation. The people, there's going to be a spiritual revival in the land. the expectations that he might have had. We're not told, so we have to guess, but something really shattered Elijah's focus, shattered his faith. And I want to look at the text here. Let's look at the text together and try to glean what we can from the text. In 1 Kings 19.1, Ahab recounts the events to his wife Jezebel. He accounts, he, he lays out the accounts. He gives her, he gives her his perspective. I have grown to, I'm going to use the word dislike, the word perspective. Everybody likes to give their perspective. So Ahab gives his perspective to his wife, Jezebel. It says in 19.1, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets by the sword. King Ahab had the privilege of seeing the hand of God unleashed here, the mighty power of God displayed. Yahweh was vindicated. The, the, prophets, the prophets were completely beaten, destroyed, dismantled, defeated. But for Ahab, that meant absolutely nothing. It meant absolutely nothing. Seeing, I love when people say, well, if if there's a God, then if God came down and did this, if God came and said that, if God did this, if God did, you know what? If if there was a giant voice in the heavens that said, I exist, I am here. This will be your last time I do this for the next hundred years, but I want to let everyone know. They would have scientific experiments and say, well, that must have been a blah, blah, blah. Someone did this or whatever else. And even though you heard it, you'd be talked out of it in a certain period of time. If you were hard-hearted, no matter what you heard, you'd ignore it as some kind of phenomena, whatever else, and blah, 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 blah. And that's what Ahab, he's, he, he, he experiences this, and it means nothing to him. Ahab laid out in detail the events of the day, point by point. 
but he distorted the issue. He, he, he failed to present the truth. His pride and his intolerance and his hatred, his unbelief, hardened his heart. And it results in his, 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 and his lies result in inflicting pain and trouble on Elijah, on himself, and on his nation. He had a hard heart. He didn't want to believe what was right in front of him. He didn't want to believe what he is actually seeing there. He talks about this. He says, he, tell, he talks to his wife. He says, look, all that Elijah has done, he, and he puts all these, uh, you know, he killed all of the, all, the, all the prophets of Baal. He killed them all. Notice what he puts his emphasis on. Notice what he, 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 he focuses on here. All that Elijah had done. That's what he focuses on. He tells her all that Elijah had done. He failed to see God and what happened. He failed to see God and what happened here and focuses on Elijah, God's instrument. It was God who did it all. I mean, calling down. I mean, he didn't actually light the fire. He, I mean, he stood there, called down fire, but he, he was not the, he shouldn't be the focal point. But what does Ahab do? He focuses on the instrument. So like, you know what's amazing in our media today? It's, it's so much like our media today where they, they basically tell half-truths and misre- they completely misrepresent the truth. It's hard, it's hard to actually watch things on TV because they misrepresent the truth of what actually happened. What you end up getting in our culture today as news is commentary, perspective, opinion, when you watch the news, especially if you're younger and older too, this is, this is good for all of us. When you watch the news, you have to ask yourself this question. How are they trying to manipulate me? Because you're not getting just straight information. You're getting manipulated. He takes his perspective. Ahab uses his perspective here when he's sharing this story. He's, his hurt pride, his, his pride is hurt. His hurt pride and his resentment against Elijah blinded him to the work of God and to the truth of the event. It blinded him. He saw it again the way he wanted to see it. He had his own perspective and he was blind. He was blind to it. Now, I wonder what would have happened. I thought about this this week. I wonder what would have happened if Ahab would have basically been honest and, and, and told uh, what happened on Mount Carmel to Jezebel, what, if he would have just told the truth of what was happening there. If he honestly saw it was like, honey, I'm sure he, he, she's nasty. I'm not sure he would call her honey or sweetheart. <laughs> Your nastiness, let me explain. <laughs> Are you in a good mood right now? Because I have something to tell you. You know what I mean? Honey, let's sit down and talk about this. If he would have said to her, Jezebel, I, I, I got to tell you this. I saw, I saw the power of God unleashed today. I did. I saw it. I, was, I saw the power of God. I saw fire from heaven come down and consume everything. This, his whole sacrifice was consumed. I saw Yahweh today. I saw the power of the one true God. And he proved it. He proved it. What our prophets couldn't do. They did all this crazy stuff to themselves and everything else, and they cried out, and, they, and nothing happened. But the God of Israel is the one true God. He showed himself today. And Jezebel, we need to follow him. We need to follow him. What if he would have told that story? Instead, he ignores the facts 
and he's crafted his own account of what happened in this whole situation. He crafts his own account of what happened, what Elijah had done. King Ahab's response took glory away from God. It stole the glory from God and fanned the, fanned the flames of jealousy and hatred. When we, when we share our own perspective of things, when we don't tell the whole truth, we fan the flames sometimes of negative attitudes, negative responses. His attitude, his perspective, his lies fan the flame of jealousy and hatred. You know, some of us may find ourselves in the rain this morning. We may find ourselves in the rain this morning because uh, we have the wrong perspective. Your perspective is wrong. Your perspective is wrong in your relationships, in your marriage. Your perspective is wrong. Your perspective of what your parents think, your attitude about what your parents think and what your parents say, your perspective on the situation is wrong and you find yourself in a difficult situation. Your perspective at work is wrong. Your view, your, your, your thoughts, whatever, I call it stinking thinking. It's stinking thinking, okay? Easy to remember. We get ourselves into trouble with our stinking thinking. We live in our own little bubble world and, you know, this is, you know, it's, it's me. It's like two, a two-year-old, you know, a two-year-old pokes you in the eye. He does, he's like, oh, I don't know, you're crying. I don't know why you're crying. Doesn't hurt me. And I think we get in that two-year-old mentality, that selfish mentality where, you know, I'm, I'm right and the world revolves around me and we get our perspectives and we go around the world kind of laying out our perspective for everyone else and it's stinking thinking. Now, you're not always wrong, but a lot of times you are wrong. I've been in disagreements with my wife before. We don't argue. We just disagree a little bit. And so we, we were disagreeing a little bit. And, uh, and I've said to myself before, I said in my mind, I said, you know, I know I'm right. And if God said to me, would you, do you think you're right? I would say to God, I would, Jesus, we're standing right in front of me. I promise you, I'd say, yes, I'm right, Lord. And if he said, would you bet your life on it? I would have said without question, absolutely, I'll bet my life on it. You know, I'd be dead about five times, okay, at least. Because when I went back and said, Lord, show me where I'm wrong. Show me why my perspective is off. Show me her, un- give me an understanding of where she's coming from. You know, even if it's not I'm all wrong, he lays out and shows me clearly where I am wrong. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, man, I would have been dead. I would have been dead because my perspective was just some stinking thinking. And so in 19.2, Jezebel reacts with vengeance. She is outraged. She's outraged. She reacts this way with vengeance. She's going to come after him. She attacked the instrument of God because of Ahab's perspective. She goes after him because he was lying, because Ahab was lying. The Bible says she sent a messenger to tell him, I'm going to get you. I am, I am going to kill you. I'm going to... Now, you have, to, you have to stop for a moment and think about this. You know, the Bible is great because you read through it and you go, yeah, she sent a messenger. But then you have to stop and ask yourself, this is, this is Jezebel. If Jezebel, if Jezebel wanted to kill... If she knew where he was, if she knew where Elijah was, why didn't she just send some troops, some soldiers, whatever else, some assassins down there and kill him? Why would she send a message? It's like, you know, hey, guess what? I'm going to come get you now and give him a chance to run. Why give him a chance to run at all? This is another quick lesson I think we can learn when we go through our own struggles in life. And that lesson is that I, I think it shows the sovereignty of God. It shows the sovereignty of God. That, that God, our God, uses the wrath of man to glorify himself. 
He uses man's wrath to glorify himself. In the midst of life storms, what, what I learned from this, in the midst of life storms, our God is in control. He doesn't always put you in those storms. He does not, he can cause them. But even in the midst of the storms that other people cause in our lives, that we cause in our own lives, our God is still in control. And what, what people mean as evil to harm you, God can flip it around and use it for your good because our God is in control. Regardless of why you are where you are right now, God is in control. And if someone's doing something to you, if you, if you trust in God, he can flip that around and use it to your advantage, to your good. Jezebel's actions here were completely within character. I mean, you know, she's the kind of person, if she pulls something like this off, you'd think, well, yep, that's, that's Jezebel. If you were back in that time, yep, that, that sounds just like her. That was within her character. But this is not what we expect from Elijah. This is, this is not what we expect. 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 3 says that he was afraid and he ran for his life. Just called down fire. Now he's afraid of Jezebel and he's running for his life. His actions were totally out of character. Totally out of character here. If Elijah could react this way, think about this. If he could react this way, it is a reminder that we should all be aware, all should be aware of the volatility of our emotions. We should all be really, really aware of the volatility of our emotions because the, the potential to fall, to backslide, the potential to make the bad decision is only one step away. I mean, look at his life. Look at what he, I mean, talking like chapter 18, chapter, uh, yeah, chapter 19. The volatility of our emotions are powerful. And we should be reminded of that because our, a mistake, making a, making a choice, a bad choice, a bad decision for all of us is just one emotion away. It's just one step away. It's a great lesson we can learn here from, from this text. Now, so, some of us this morning are in the rain, we're in the storm because of the volatility of our own emotions. We have not yet learned, not yet learned, you will, as you continue to grow in Christ, but we have not yet learned to control our emotions. And so the volatility of our emotions have put us in this position. But again, we have a God who can help us overcome that. As I said earlier, I believe that Elijah was expecting something different. His expectations were different. He expected something different. He expected something positive. He was hoping that the kingdom would experience a, a, a spiritual uh, awakening, a spiritual revival, that there'd be change here, there'd be a turnaround. But you know what? Life is full of disappointments. Am I telling anyone something they don't know? He was expecting after this happened in chapter 18 for all these other things to happen and they didn't happen. And so his expectations were crushed. He was hoping that the kingdom would experience this and it didn't happen. Life is filled, filled with disappointments. And if we are not extremely careful, we're not extremely careful, our expectations can become demands. You gotta, and this is a fine line, but it's important as you're walking through your spiritual life, you're walking through your life in general. Our expectations can become our demands. My friends, it's not wrong to hope for the best. It's not wrong to hope for the best. But there's a difference between hoping in God and demanding of God. We cannot move to a position of demand. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in verse 7, it talks about love. It says, love is all, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then we see the same theme in, in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 where it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So yes, it's okay to hope in Christ. It's okay to hope in the Lord. But there's a difference, a big difference between hoping and demanding. God holds us responsible for trusting him. He holds us responsible for, 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 for obedience and for love and for endurance and for faithfulness. But he doesn't hold us responsible for the results. He doesn't hold us responsible for the results. See, the results are in his hands. The results are in God's hands. We cannot control other people. And most of the time, we cannot control our own circumstances, our own situation. But we have a God who can we have a God who is in control of those things. If we, don't, if we don't realize that, our expectations, our expectations can easily create a demanding attitude, demanding that God do what we think he should do. Saying things like, you know, you know God, you know, bless my plans. God, bless my desires. We're almost demanding that God do what we want him to do. When you pray, it's more with a demanding attitude. Why? It's, it's subtle, but our expectations move into demands. And instead of hoping and praying, instead of reaching out with love, we're demanding that God do what we think he should do. Because my goodness, if you know, I want to I wanna change the world and feed all these kids all over the wheel. We want to, as a church, do this and this and this. And so therefore, God should just react immediately. And we, it's almost a demand because we expect to change the world. We expect to do these things. We expect to reach this. We expect this in our relationships. And so then when we start praying, we start demanding that God do what we think he should do. And when that happens... We are superseding God's sovereignty. We don't realize it, but that's what we're doing. We're superseding God's sovereignty. When we have unfulfilled expectations, when we make our desires the source of our happiness, we fall into the Elijah syndrome, as I call it. We fall into this Elijah syndrome, fearful, ready to run, engulfed in feelings of, of, of failure, frustration. We're engulfed in those feelings of fatigue because we get into this mindset and we fall into the Elijah syndrome. Elijah knew Jezebel's reaction. He knew what she was like. He knew her character. He knew all those things. And so you add that to the disappointment that he had and his, shatters ex and his shattered expectations. And it is not surprising as we go on here that he walks into even more trouble. He finds himself in even more trouble. I mean, he knows the character of Jezebel. He knows her reaction, her reputation. And so it's not surprising that he just walks right into more trouble. Instead of turning to God, he turns his eyes, to, and we do the same thing to our, to our circumstances and our situation. Instead of our turning our eyes to God and saying, God, I find myself in this place where I just want to die. I've had enough, Lord. I don't think I can handle this he then turns his eyes to his situation and his circumstances. And I think we should apply this to our own lives because we do the exact same thing. We do the same thing. We focus and we react based upon the way things appear. We need to, we need to 
react. We need to respond based upon our faith in God, not based on what, uh, upon the way things appear, but upon our faith in what God has done for us in the past and what we believe God can do for us in the future. That's what we need to base it on. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says, we live by faith and not by sight. We as believers in Jesus Christ, we live by faith and not by sight. We need to stay focused on the Lord, looking beyond our problems through the eyes of faith. Stay focused on the Lord, looking beyond our problems. I know it's tough right now. I understand that. Why do you think we're doing this series? I have my hand on the pulse of the church. I watch the news. I see what's going on in the country. This is, these are difficult times personally and, and nationally. But we need to focus our attention on our God. And we need to make sure that we are making decisions based upon the, our faith in Jesus Christ and not upon our circumstances, not upon what we see Not just what's in front of us. Look beyond. Look beyond your trouble. Look beyond your difficulty and know that the rain does end, that God is there. The rainbow will show up and God will help you grow and strengthen you even through these difficult times. Whenever we walk by sight, whenever I walk by sight, I give up so much that God has for me. Whenever you walk by sight, you give up so much that God has for you. We need to trust that God will not forsake us. He didn't forsake his prophet. He will not forsake us. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. He loves us regardless of the circumstance we find ourselves in and who put us there. God loves us and God wants to help us through that. It's always helpful to remember this little little piece here. It's helpful to remember this, that You can't focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and your problems for too long at the same time. You can't focus on the Lord and your problems at the same time. When you focus on the Lord, your problems will be diminished. Your problems will be overcome. You cannot focus on both. Don't focus on just what's right in front of you. Focus on God. Put it in a larger perspective. Put it not just in a temporal perspective, what's happening to me right now, but in an eternal perspective of what God can do through this and believe, have faith that God is going to do something amazing through it. We seem to trust God when things are going great. But what happens to our faith as Christians in God, in Jesus Christ, when things aren't going so great? The Apostle Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say it, rejoice in Philippians 4.4. That's what he said. Then you ask the question, well, when did he say that? Or, you know, in what, in what situation did he find himself in when he said that? Was, he, was, he, was it like a, you know, peachy keen time in his life? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because I'm just floating through the desert. I'm floating through the masses. Everything's going great in my life. That's not when he said it. He said it when he was in chains in Rome. That's when he said it. He was in chains. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He's in chains, chained to someone in Rome on house arrest. That's when he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. At this point, Elijah is not rejoicing. He is not rejoicing in the Lord. He called down fire from heaven. He had confidence, but then something happened. He had confidence, but now, not so much. As one of my children say, not so much. He had that confidence, but 
it seems to be completely gone. The text tells us that Elijah fled to Beersheba, where he, where he found some solitude there in his own mind. He sought shelter, the Bible says. He sought shelter under, uh, not in the Lord. I mean, you know, find your shelter in God. God is my shelter. He didn't find a shelter in God. He found it under some scrubby plant. The bush, a bush tree is a tree that grows about five to 10 feet. And when it comes to shelter, not very good, very limited shelter. Nowhere, nowhere in this chapter does it tell us that Elijah uh, cried out for God to give him direction. He doesn't go before the Lord and ask for any direction here. You see, God wasn't so worked up. It's not, that, it's not so bad for him to go into the desert and try to find a place to hide. The problem was that he went into the desert without God's direction. God did not direct him to go into the desert. And he was seeking shelter, not in the Almighty, but under some scrub tree some bush, some plant. Therein lies the problem. He was not seeking God here. In the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your crisis, where do you seek shelter this morning? What is your, what is your broom tree? A bottle? A pill? An activity that you're involved in? Another physical sexual relationship? Where do you, where do you, what's your broom tree? We all have them. We can pick on him, but let's just be honest. When you go through a crisis in your life, when you face a difficulty of your life, do you, do you reach, what do you reach for? Man, I had a, boy, I had a really tough day. I had a really difficult time. Boy, I'm overwhelmed. I really need to, I really need a, finish the sentence. Add the word. I really need to spend time with Christ. I really need to pray. I really need to be still and know that he is God. I really need to seek his direction. Is that, is that the answer? Or is it something else? I really need a calm me down, get me through. We need to be honest with ourselves because when you go through the difficulties of life, if you don't focus on Christ, if he's not helping you through, you're just making things worse for yourself. God had earlier directed Elijah to go to a lonely place, to go to a quiet place in 1 Kings uh, chapter 17, verses 5 through 7, or 2 through 5. But not here. Not here. He doesn't, he doesn't direct him here. Elijah was discouraged. He was emotionally spent. His actions were not the actions of faith, but of discouragement. He was distraught. He was in despair. It was desperation. He, he was experiencing, he, he thought he'd be experiencing, at this point, think about it again, he thought he'd be experiencing revival. He thought he'd be res- experiencing a, 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 a restoration, a, a restoring of the people. And instead, he runs into rejection and a threat on his life. He thought he'd be, he'd be, thought he'd be rejoicing in the Lord because he would see this revival in the land, this, this renewal in the land. Instead... He's attacked and he's chased. And what he failed to realize that even though he couldn't see it, his God was still at work in his life. Something else we need to keep in mind. Regardless if you and I can see it or not, our God is at work in our lives. Whether we, it appears to us that way or not, God is at work in our lives. One of the greatest causes of discouragement that I find in my life and I find in other people's lives, one of the greatest causes of discouragement is a lack of apparent progress when you are really giving it your effort. 
You are really giving it all you have. And the frustration, the overwhelming frustration in life comes when when you're giving it all you have, there's a lack of, of progress. Yet progress is not always obvious, especially in spiritual matters, and especially not, maybe not to us. But we don't, we don't live in just a flesh and blood world. We live in a spiritual world. We live in a spiritual world. Things are happening that we do not see. And you're putting that effort in, you're putting that effort in, and maybe it's not, you're, not, you're not getting what you thought you would get out of it. I read about a Chinese bamboo tree this week. Chinese bamboo tree. You get a seed and you put it in the ground, and you water it and you fertilize it, and you wait. First year, nothing. Second year comes around, you're watering and fertilizing. You know, you got this little thing, nothing. Third year, water and fertilize, baby. Here we go, water and fertilizer, nothing. Fourth year, same thing, nothing. Fifth year, fifth year. The Chinese bamboo tree goes 90 feet in six weeks, the fifth year. 90 feet in six weeks. So the question we have to ask ourselves, is the bamboo tree grow in six weeks or in five years? Six weeks or five years. Sometimes we work and we work and we work and we work and we give it our effort. We, we give so much effort and nothing seems to happen. But my friends, if you continue to do what is right before God, you will be blessed. God will show himself to you in a powerful way. If you continue to do things long enough, the right things long enough, you'll receive a reward for your efforts. Someone once told me a few years back, God can do more in 10 minutes than you can do in 10 years. That is so true. That is so true. We got to keep doing the right thing. Regardless of the circumstance we find ourselves in, we can't push God out of the picture. We can't push God out of the equation. We need to bring him into the equation. Let me read you a couple of scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 says this, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 reminds us, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if we don't give up. If we don't give up in doing what is right, if we keep doing what is right, God says you will reap a harvest. You will get payback. God will respond to what you're doing. As I close, I want to read you 1 Kings 19, 11, and 12. It says, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, came a fire, came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. I love that verse. It means so much to me. I'll tell you why someday. But, but God is powerful, powerfully at work here. In chapter 18, God showed himself to Elijah through fire. But now we're in, cha- we're in chapter 19. It's a different chapter. It's a different chapter in Elijah's life. God doesn't always speak to us. God doesn't always respond to us. God doesn't always show himself to us the same way. It's not always in the same way. We're, we're sometimes looking, you know, it's like we get in a situation and we're looking for this grand gesture, waiting for the fire to come down from heaven, waiting for God to speak in some miraculous way. But you know how he speaks to us? When we're quiet, 
He speaks to us in a gentle whisper, not through the earthquake, not through the fire, not through all the wind, but he speaks to us through a gentle whisper. When someone's whispering to you, you have to stop and listen. Do you want to overcome your struggles? Stop where you are right now in your life. Stop. Listen to him. Let him direct you with his gentle whisper. Let him guide you. You know, God loves you with all of his heart. And regardless, regardless of how you find yourself, you find yourself in the circumstance you find yourself in right now, regardless of how you find yourself in the struggle you're facing right now, God wants to be, he wants to be your shelter because he loves you. He wants to be your hiding place. He wants to be the shoulder you cry on. He wants to be the one to, jump, to carry you on his back, carry you like a mother carries a child. That's what God wants to do for you right now. And you're, you're kind of pushing him away because you think you got it all figured out or you're so overwhelmed, you can't think straight. If you can't think straight, just stop and listen and let him guide you. He wants to be all that you need. But sometimes we just need to stop and listen. For the next eight weeks, we are going to look at different characters in the Word of God. We're going to look at different men and women of faith. And we're going to to try to, to glean, we're going to try to learn from their successes and failures some principles that will help us in overcoming the difficulties that we face in our own lives. We just need to take the time to listen. We need to spend time with God because we all want to be where the rain ends. I want to escape this world amid the endless face of discouragement. My mind overflowing with thoughts I can't run from. The weight of my fears pushes down
That song is available out at Wise Words once the service is complete. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. God bless you.